2: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. As we look ahead to a third successive game on the road for the lads due to the postponement of the Millwall home game we also try to follow up an impressive performance in midweek against Redden at Watford this weekend. And to give us all the latest on our next opponent ahead of our trip to Hertfordshire, you may recognise this person from years that he spent on our screens as part of Sky Sports or recently from his work in the Athletic. But we're very pleased to have the company of Adam Leventhal. Hello, Adam.
1: How's it going, Chris? Good to be here.
2: Yeah, welcome to the Roger Report podcast. How are you keeping?
1: Yeah, all is all is well. Um, yeah, in, in life away from... Uh, Watford Uh, all is well but Watford is uh, yeah it has been um, it's a bit of a a labour of love at the moment because it is it is has been an up and down time and I'm obviously you know all about that as as a Sunderland fan and you're you're on the up at the moment Watford are just sort of just trying to find their feet in this in this uh, in this crazy league that is the, the championship which we're back in once again
2: well it's interesting because I mean you, you know that, that sort of tone's kicked in already which I'll kind of touch on but there's only one point there's only one point between the clubs but we'll, we'll come back to that because I kind of um, been looking at what you've been doing for, for the athletic recently you know I read a piece a few days ago about the transfer window because obviously mm. another one's just closed and you wrote about what goes on behind the scenes and when I read that um, it kind of opened my eyes a bit to the sheer chaos that happens around the end, end of the window because you hear reporters talking about it, but sometimes you kind of wonder, is it all that chaotic? But, I mean, reading your piece, I mean, it must be an absolute minefield for the likes of yourself on what to report and what not to report.
1: Yeah, it it really is. I mean, you know, once the once the season ends, you know that obviously the transfer rumours are going to start. Um but you do have that sort of period where there is a a little bit, a little bit where everyone in football just sort of does relax for, for a little bit. And maybe that's that only goes to maybe one or two days. But then, the, yeah, the madness really does kick in. And, you know, the, the purpose of that piece was really to highlight um, some of the, the stories that go on behind the scenes and have a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. And often some of the things that you hear... Um, and you talk about with contacts and the the messages that you receive and the the screenshots that are sent sometimes from from agents or football clubs or or other contacts that sometimes we can't actually report because you know either they're sensitive because they they might compromise a source or you know you can't stand them up in the way that we'd like to do it especially on the athletic and at least at the very least double source a story Um, So you've only got one side of the story and and maybe another side of the story is is denying the existence of this situation. But yeah, I I found it fascinating pulling it all together because it's not just my own stories. A lot of them, you know, I did have experience of myself, but, you know, just sort of drawing it together from the athletic staff as well, because there is so much that goes on and so much that people don't see or hear. And it's, it's very difficult to decipher it's draining to report on a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but it is something that I do. I do quite enjoy, but I do quite enjoy it when it's finished, just to have a little bit of a breather, and you can actually concentrate on the football. Even though it is, it is difficult if you're a Watford fan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, just reading that piece. I mean, I couldn't get over some of the, the kind of crazy information that gets sent through to to reporters. And, yeah, you know, you, you talk, you've mentioned in the piece MRI scans and agents trying to get deals during, you know, getting involved in them during Zoom calls. I mean, you know, the way you, you know, talk about deals in that piece, is that a case that it's the majority of deals have some sort of quirk or, or do the majority of them go through smoothly and you just report, yep, yeah, that's happened?
1: It's difficult, really. I think that there there is so much work that goes into so many deals, even the most straightforward ones, you know, that, that there can be almost an agreement on the three key sides of the transfers, you know, between the two clubs and obviously the. The player then wanted to go to that that new club, but still there are a lot of logistical things that also have to fall into place. Be it the you know the, the travel logistics if it's going to be a last minute deal, or obviously the medical examinations which need to take place, the the personal terms that need to be agreed, the the fee that needs to be agreed between the two clubs. So there are so many different moving parts and negotiation that has to occur on on all of those points. So. The thing that really does sort of interest me from, from both sides of it as well is that, you know, a lot of the time you'll hear fans say, Man, I don't believe it, it's not true. And in my experience as a journalist, you don't write something down unless you are confident that it is true. And when people talk about, um, oh, it's just a rumor. I I don't like the word rumor because it's sort of the the enemy of journalism really. I I find it almost insulting at times that people would just say oh, just rumors, just rumors. Yes, there can just be things that people put out there as as tittle-tattle and and sometimes agents can try and sort of put little little um stories out there to to journalists that that might want to carry those stories, but if it's a rumor your job as a journalist is to find out whether it is true or not. And if it is not true, there's no point reporting on it. But if there is some grain of truth in it and it is worth building on, then it's almost your responsibility, if it's on your patch or if it's a big story or whatever it is, to make sure that you you explain it in, in the fullest of terms. And that's why I think you know the transfer window in particular, it, it appeals to journalists who have a tendency to, to be a little bit like a dog with a bone and won't <laughs> let things go. Um, but then for some other journalists, it's, it's the worst type of journalism where you're having to chase everything and be really, really persistent with it. And that's fine. You know. It's, there's horses for courses. But I sort of do fall into the, the dog with a bone sort of, sort of journalist where I really want to try and find out exactly what's going on. And some journalists will just want to only report on things when they are you know, a done deal and that's fine but that's a bit of an open goal really it's you know anyone can do that i think that fans nowadays with the analysis and the scrutiny that we see are interested in in the different stages and the, the you know the peaks and troughs that can happen in those negotiations so yeah i find it i do find it fascinating and and the some of the weird things that do happen you know people turning up for for medicals and then being told to to go home or or social videos being done for announcements, and and then the for, the deal falling through, or whatever it is, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo being offered around to to various different clubs. Who would have thought that a couple of years ago that one of the greatest players in the world is almost being, you know, on a on a sort of a junket with with various clubs <laughs> around the world? It's it's it, it strange things happen, but but I do find it fascinating, and I think more and more people do nowadays.
2: I mean, especially, you know, just being a Sunderland fan on the Sunderland Message boards, you you tend to get those rumours through that so-and-so's having a medical at, you know, Sunderland Hospital or, you know, you have, um, you know, people being spotted in local hotels and things like that. But I mean, I mean, just, I mean, on the subject of the transfer deadline day, because, you know, you were the face of um, the athletics coverage, um, the one that's just closed. But you started working with Sky Sports all the way back in 2003, which was about, I think it was the year before or maybe the year after when... Kind of the transfer windows as we know it came into play, but I mean, how how did you see that coverage of deadline day evolve from being on the inside of it? Because I mean, almost twenty years later, it's this huge event on the calendar now.
1: Yeah, it really did sort of gather pace, actually. Yeah, during the during the period of time that I was there, uh, the thing that I always remember about it is that the the newsroom would really come alive when when it was on deadline day, and I would al- I would always feel like. I wish it would be like this every day. You know, everyone was sort of really bang on it, and you know there was extra things going on, and everyone was really sort of chasing hard on stories, and there was a real energy to 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 everything. And obviously, you know, it sort of <laughs> it sort of hit hit a ceiling, didn't it? Really, or a little bit of a comedic, perhaps. You know, uh, you know, veering on the on the um, on the slightly dangerous and slightly well, I don't know. Post watershed worlds of of various things being shoved in in various ears and things like that, and you know <laughs> dolls being held up in in the background of, of reporters, and that did really sort of change the the mm. whole dynamic of things. And then I think it did lose a little bit in terms of a, a of being a, a TV spectacle when just purely down to the safety of reporters being outside um, training grounds or football grounds, it, it just wasn't wasn't safe anymore. So so you know reporters had to be inside and in safe spaces whether that's inside a stadium or inside a training ground and and it lost a little bit of that buzz but for for a time it was it was it was incredible i think also that what what also has changed since you know since i was at sky sports news as a as a reporter and then as a presenter as well that fans have at their disposal so much more information that was only really accessible to us at sky sports news prior to you know twitter really taking off you know now fans can see the the work and the the thinking almost of of so many journalists on on twitter and various social platforms you know even youtube and things like that that can do things live so i think over time it's it's maybe sort of lost its its sort of sting i suppose as a, as a solely tv spectacle but when it was only only the yellow ties and only Jim White and only us at training grounds and all that sort of stuff. It was fantastic. But I think now there are so many different ways to cover it. And and the demands are from fans saying, well, now we really want to know what's going on. We really want to know why the deal fell through, precisely what happened. And, you know, we can now cover that in a, in a completely different way on the, on the Athletic. But obviously, you know, the, the central point of it is still whether someone's signed on the dotted line, which is a saying I don't like, but effectively that's basically what it comes down to isn't it that you know is he going is he going there yes good right well let's let's kick on and let's let's play football rather than talking about the bi- the business side of the game I suppose are you
2: enjoying being able to focus on on Watford a bit more and writing about them on a regular basis
1: <sighs> yeah I mean, that's a tough one <laughs> I, <laughs> it's it's I, I am of course it, it's 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 been a f- a sort of a, a, quite a journey actually, from starting in in 2019 and making the transition from myself, you know, as a, as pretty much solely a broadcaster. I'd done some writing for books and had a publishing company as well, which is which is still going as well. So I was sort of au fait with with writing, but but writing regularly and writing in depth and getting back to sort of true sort of investigative journalism on on certain certain issues has been really really good and has been a a step that I wasn't necessarily expecting to make if you'd asked me sort of 5 years ago whether that's something that I would necessarily go into I probably wouldn't have thought that it would be but I've really enjoyed it it's been something it's been a challenge it's it, I've I've sort of you know learning as I do it and and finding new techniques and different ways of working and just it feels like a a real journalistic role that I've got and that you know is not only on Watford but also the broader broader topics as well which I've covered like you know like the transfer window piece and and things like that so yeah it's been it's been challenging but it has been a, a sort of a new a new chapter in my career which I've I've actually really really enjoyed and I continue to this day
2: yeah yeah and you mentioned the the publishing actually and I think that's um that's the the tales series of books isn't it yeah um, which I know you were an author on the the Watford books and it covers a handful of clubs including Sunderland I've yeah. got those on the, I've got those on the bookshelf um right oh, right behind me as, as we speak but so and I think you you came up to the stadium of light for the launch of one of the Sunderland books is that right of
1: of, of all of them yeah and I, I you know I think it's pertinent to say before we go on and talk about the Tales from the Red and Whites you know I've got such a an affinity for for Sunderland and for the other clubs that we've worked on and it was such a sad loss to have lost Lance Hardy he was such a a gifted writer and he was our go-to man our editor for the for the Sunderland books the three Sunderland books that we did and he was, you know, ably assisted by by Graham Anderson and and Rob Mason, who you know, Sunderland fans will know from being such a you know great historian over the years. But Lance was the the guy that we first met when you know we wanted to do books outside of Watford, and it it came as such a shock when when we lost him. And I just you know I've got such fond memories of of him doing such great work and having such passion for it and getting all the you know the the former players, the the former managers, captains, and things like that from Sunderland and really loved coming up. We did a we did a few events um up at the Stadium of Light with uh, Peter Reid was up there for for one of them um a whole collection a whole collection of of captains and and players and yeah it, it it's it's been something that we haven't done more of of late. We've done the three volumes of of tales from the Red and Whites and we did books with Watford and Norwich and Leeds as well. We also published a, a book about Unai Emery. So that's sort of been put on the back burner a little bit but it's still bubbling along. But yeah, I, I always look It's funny also we did the we did the um the Nick Barnes matchbooks as well. His his great commentary notes when Watford and Sunderland were were in the same division and it's it's good to be it's good to be back in the same division once again because obviously I've I've sort of seen the 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 fall down and and you know everyone's watched the documentaries and seen the drama and all that sort of stuff and there's been so much that's that's happened but it's good to see Sunderland back on the up as well because I know how much of a, a massive club they are and you know although I don't necessarily wish them all the best on on Saturday I, I do <laughs> like to see them in general terms you know back in yeah. the mix. Up, up, nearly among the big boys, but not quite yet.
2: But just to focus on, on Watford and kind of more specifically your relationship with Watford, I mean, how far does the love of the club go back and and how did you end up following Watford?
1: Um, it goes back all the way since I was a yeah little kid and um, I got my footballing allegiance from my mum. She grew up in, in Watford. That's where my grandparents live. And I was sort of indoctrinated from a young age and you know, earliest memories of, you know, the cup final, the, the FA cup final in 1984, and gradually started going on a, on a more regular basis and having a, you know, having a season ticket, traveling there by myself, going with my, you know, my mom or my grandfather and and things like that, often, you know, going up by myself. And I'd, I lived in North London and then we would sort of tra- I'd travel up, get the bus, you know, this sort of really weird route and, you know, spend ages going and traveling and, home and away and, and things like that and obviously then whilst I was working initially in radio you know I wasn't necessarily able to go as much as I would have liked but yeah once you're in you're in you you, you follow them all the way so yes ever since I was a I was a kid and now I'm yeah writing about them as well
2: what an amazing time to start off being a Watford fan cup finals you wait for cup football you know <laughs> to well, play yeah, football. The-
1: <laughs> he, that's the thing. It, it it was an incredible time, but I was too young to to really experience it. Um, I was born in seventy nine, and that was when they were, you know, they were really they kicked kicked on with the rise uh, under Graham Taylor, and you know I wasn't I wasn't old enough to to really know what was going on in terms of yeah finishing second and and getting into the UEFA Cup and being a an established first division side that that clubs in the division actually feared not necessarily simply just down to the, the, the the football that we were playing, because we did also have some, some amazingly gifted players like John Barnes and, you know, Luther Blissett and well so, so many others in, in different ways. But yeah, I, I really started going when they, when they were on the sort of, in the sort of the, the doldrum years in, in the first division and, and maybe drifting down to the third tier as, you know, as, as your boys have been recently. Um, so yeah, it's 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 funny now because obviously Watford have been in the Premier League for five seasons and then been up and down. But I always think of Watford as a as a side that's that's yeah, second or or third division. So I always f- still feel like we we're, you know, living La Vida Loca when we're in the in the Premier League. It doesn't feel like we should really belong there. And then some fans who are much younger have only really known, you know, under the under the pot. So, regime since since 2012, being real challengers and and being in the top division. And I'm like, yeah, just you've got to be careful because it's not it's not always going to be like this and it's not always been like this. So, yeah, it's I've got a different perspective on things than, than some other fans.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, because, I mean, you know, you had that gap between those Graham Taylor days and then, you know, you had a five-year period between 2015 and 2020 where Watford had five successive seasons in the Premier League. Which was the most successful period since those Graham Taylor days in the nineteen eighties. I mean, there's been a promotion and a relegation since, but I mean, surely, I mean, it's been a good time to be a Watford fan over the last five, ten years.
1: Absolutely, yeah. No, it has, and I think you know, since twenty twelve, since since the um, the Potso takeover, it's it's transformed the club from being one like many others to something that that did have a a usp and did have a competitive advantage due to being able to obviously you know farm in players from a sister club like udinese which i know rubbed people up the the wrong way a little bit initially but i think you know they were trailblazers almost in a way and followed by you know not only some some smaller clubs that now have sister clubs but some of the big guns as well even like manchester city you think of the you know, the the football ownership group, like the City Football Group and things like that. You know, the Pozzos were doing this since since the mid-90s when they had Udinese initially, then they branched out to Granada. And then obviously they went on to Watford and then they, you know, they got rid of Granada. But they have obviously had a, an amazing scouting network. And I think maybe, you know, when people are successful and they have something a little bit different, other clubs try and um mimic that and and um match that and then maybe sometimes exceed that and i think watford initially they were completely different and maybe now it's it's sort of caught up with them a little bit and they need to try and evolve and they need to try and reinvent themselves a little bit but you know going back to the point that you made it, it has been a journey that has had great success in terms of staying in the premier league which is which is a success in on its own it's had some amazing moments even outside the premier league with that the Deeney goal that was scored against Leicester is just incredible. It's something that every every May I can't remember it May May the twelfth or whatever it is is Deeney Day. I can't remember exactly what the date <laughs> is, but it always pops up every year, and you always watch it. And you always get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And I was behind the goal that he scored that that goal in. Brilliant. So I was there. I saw it. I felt it. It was most the most incredible moment I've ever had watching football. And it's it's sometimes it doesn't need to be the 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 lifting of the cup or the winning of the league or or whatever it can be a goal that saves you from relegation or or a goal that takes you into a final like that that are the ones that you remember the most and um there's been plenty of those under the Pozzos aside from staying in the premier league or getting to a cup final or, or things like that so yeah it has been it's been a an incredible journey it's just it's a little bit little bit more turbulent at the moment than than fans would like.
2: Because you've you've just been touching on it there. Because I mean, there's been a lot of talk at Sunderland recently about philosophy and having a plan to keep the club moving in a certain direction, regardless of you know the man in charge. Um, because I was having a look at the number of times Watford have changed manager, and in the ten years since the summer of twenty twelve, since the takeover, Watford have had sixteen managers, and in the ten years before that, they had six. So I mean you were talking about Watford kind of creating their own kind of USP but I mean do you think they've kind of changed football a little bit do you think they've exposed maybe a myth that things you know need to be long term and stable because they've been pretty successful while they've been doing all that chopping and changing
1: They they were to a point I think what and this isn't this isn't a criticism of 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 being outside the Watford bubble because I would have thought being outside the Watford bubble is is bliss at times because it's not <laughs> quite as complicated. Um, but what actually sort of changed it a little bit too much and almost set the tone was very very early on because they had Gianfranco Zola invo- um, initially and you know he was he was great. I think he was there for about eighteen months or so, which is which is quite long just in general terms in football because usually you only get a, a season nowadays. But then there was a flurry of managers which changed it and, and turned it from one in the course of 18 months to five in the course of 18 months almost. So they had Beppe Cennino, then they had uh, Billy McKinley, they had Oscar Garcia, and they had Slavisi Jokanovic, all, all within the space of a month. So then people were going, well, well, hang on a minute, what's going on here? But then they did get up into the Premier League with Slavisa Jokanovic, and then they changed it again with Kike Sanchez-Flores coming in. And, you know, (laughs) that really did change the dynamic and the numbers. And that really did sort of make it quite something to scrutinise from, you know, other fans' point of view and and journalistically as well. But then after that, they did sort of have have it licked, I thought. I thought they did really well. Kike Sanchez-Flores did well in that first season, kept them up. Then they thought, right, it's not quite working out with him, but we go all the way to the end of the season. They then brought in um, Walter Matsari, who was a different kettle of fish. Smoked too many fags, didn't speak the language, was a bit of a miserable git, but eccentric, and he kept Watford in the Premier League. Good, well done. Which is it's not it's not the easiest thing to do. And then they changed again, and they brought in Marco Silva, which again, you you know, they've seen. Him have difficult times of late with Everton in particular in, in the Premier League, but since he's been at Fulham, it's reminded me of what he was like at Watford. You know, he's he's got them playing good football. He feels confident. He's got that buzz back again, and he was great to start off with. But then he got his head turned, and ever since then, it's been a little bit. It's been a it's been a little bit like they were on the right path. Then they brought in Javi Gracia and he was he was great. He did well. And then they got to the cup final and what they should have done is try and rebuild at that point and try and reinvest when some players might have been at the top of top whack in terms of resale value, but they, they just got it wrong and then they sacked him and then they brought Kike back and then they brought in Nigel Pearson and then they went down and then, you know, ever since it's just been just a, a, literally a revolving door and I think they lost their way. They basically lost their way after... Maybe Marco Silva, but probably after Javi Gracia because he was, he was a good guy and they, they probably should have just held their nerves, stuck with him in that 2019-20 season, but they got rid of him after you know just a handful of games. And ever since then, they've just been chasing their tail, really, and it's been a, just a bit of a mess, to be brutally honest.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like I said, I mean at the end of that, I mean, there's been a couple of years you're going between the Premier League and Championship, and there's been a lot of money spent by Watford on on the face of it when you look at the the, the kind of players that they've, they've brought in. So I mean where where do you think Watford's place in in the football world is at the moment? And and we'll we'll obviously get onto where things stand, you know, a few games into this season, but was there a clear expectation in the summer just gone to bounce straight back to the Premier League following that relegation?
1: I don't think so. Well, well, I, I say that from my point of view, I don't think it was I have never thought it was going to be easy getting back up this season because it has been a mess for for probably 3 seasons. So ever since the cup final 2018-19 was was a great year, they did really well. 19-20 was a mess. There was stuff going on in the background. They they sort of they rallied under Nigel Pearson, but then that also went sour then obviously you had the covid season behind closed doors which i think they profited from basically just playing training games against opposition that were of a lesser standard just simply because of you know being a premier league team and coming down they were able to retain a lot of the quality that they had but it wasn't a particularly happy place you know obviously in the broader broader world it wasn't a happy place but but at the club as well it wasn't wasn't hugely vibrant it was almost it was sort of a bit soulless, the whole the whole thing. And they obviously made another, as as is their way, they made a, a managerial change with Vladimir Ivic, who came. He wasn't really sort of bringing much happiness and joy, but he did a decent job. And then Chisko Munoz came in, who was a bundle of, of fun and love and happiness. And, and that was what was needed at the time. And then the next season, which was last season, you know, you get up into the Premier League again, you have that short-term approach of right, let's just bring in a whole new load of of players. But it it wasn't what was needed. And they've needed a better strategy over the last three years. And it's all been too short term. And that's why, you know, when you look at those seasons, 1920, 2021, 21, 22, it's been building up to a point where you need a rebuild, you need to stop, take stock, make changes structurally approach culture all that sort of stuff and if you don't get back up straight away that's all right but football doesn't work like that especially when you're an owner and if you're you know you're an owner like Gino Pozzo who wants things his own way and isn't you know averse to having a knee jerk reaction to things at times as we well know it doesn't quite fit rebuilds and you know taking your time it doesn't work Especially when you've also got the financial pressure of of now only having two seasons of, of parachute payments and once you get out of the parachute payment zone, we all know you can go south very quickly you get chewed up by the championship and, and spat out and you can end up in league one so it's it's been coming this time and they haven't quite got a grip of it they've brought in rob Rob Edwards and it's a it's a different approach young manager young British manager, but everything needs to just tally up with the situation that they were in when they came down from the Premier League because last season was absolutely atrocious. They were never at the races. They had, obviously, Cisco Munoz, nice guy, but maybe not quite at the level that he needed to be. But then you bring in Claudio Ranieri, then you bring in Roy Hodgson, who looked like he just couldn't, didn't want to be there. And the culture at the club just needed needed a proper twist and and change and that's going to take time and fans need to realize that you you just you can't have everything your own way all of the time and there might need to be a few bumps in the road and it might be a bit grim but people that want to come in and change something need to be given time to change it <laughs> you know need to need to be given an opportunity to make suggestions and see see things from coming from the outside in and go can I do this slightly different? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's fine because it hasn't been working for the last few years. So yeah. we, we will see.
2: Well, we can tell you all about those risks of spiralling down the league. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, we, we, yeah. we know all about it. But, yeah.
1: uh, well, no. Also, like for example, I, you know, the last game I saw was at, was at Blackburn, and the, the most shocking thing that I saw, and I, you know, I've known I've known people that have played up there and all and all that stuff, and they've had a lovely time and good good, good fans, good area, good stadium. Da 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 da. The, the most shocking thing, in in you know in footballing terms, was when the attendance came out. It was eleven thousand, and I thought, wow, eleven thousand. The ground was pr- pretty much a third full. You know, a section of the of one one end completely empty. It felt like Watford in the olden days, when when you'd if you had a, a league game, it would be a decent one. It would be eleven thousand. If there was a big club coming to town, you might get thirteen but in the in the cups you know in the early rounds of the you know you'd be in the LDV vans or whatever the, whatever the trophy was back then you know you'd get four or five or 6000 against south end and things like that it felt old school and it was a warning of just be careful because you can be a big club you can win the you can win the bloody thing you can win the premier league but you can still end up down in the doldrums and it was a huge sort of reality check for for any watford hierarchical member that actually bothered to turn up to the game to, to just be careful what you wish for and make sure you have a plan and be careful because it can go to pot and that's I know we, obviously we've got the example of Sunderland as well which we can talk about but it, we, they had a recent example of, of Blackburn as well and it should be fresh in their mind so yeah I, I hope they I hope they paid attention
2: yeah, apologies, Adam. I had my mind wandering to, to former names of the, of the trophy, like the Sherpa Vans and the Freight Rover and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But, yeah, but yeah. anyway, I, I could go on all day about that. But um, <laughs> but just to go back to your point about it taking time, because, you know, obviously looking at the story of the season so far, I mean, from the outside, it looks like a bit of a mixed bag, you know, drawn four out of the first nine, midweek going down 2-0 at Blackburn. But I watched Rob Edwards make his post-match comments after the midweek game at Blackburn, And he was talking about fans getting angry. He was already talking about turning things around, you know, looking at his tone and his body language. Mm. It didn't look great. I also read your piece in The Athletic and that, that to me, just from the outside read, is almost a plea to Watford fans to say, you know, give the guy time. It's a big job. But it's clear, you know, from all of those signs that the fans are unhappy at the start that they've made this season.
1: Yeah, they are. But as I said before, it's been building. So they've not got much credit in the bank, just in terms of their own enjoyment in, in things. You know, the, the 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 confidence levels are are low. They've been worn down by the last two Premier League seasons. They didn't get to see the last championship season. So they want to feel a bit of joy. They've had to go through another transfer window of of potentially big players leaving. They're not necessarily happy with how the club has recruited, um, whether they've reinvested in the right areas, whether they've invested in young players that other clubs have snapped up and brought into their own sides. And you just think, well, why why didn't Watford go and sign him? He's brilliant. You know, like, why not? Because they've got a different approach. And that's why the frustration is there. But there is a frustration not only in the... I think there's a sympathy for Rob Edwards... Definitely, because he's he's being the sort of manager that Watford have wanted and needed for quite some time. Someone can, that can articulate themselves, someone that's familiar with the the English game from having played it. That's not a xenophobic criticism of foreign coaches because they can do just as well. However, you know, it's that's what Watford have wanted just a little bit more, and it's a frustration at the the way that the club is being run. In comparison with how it was in the past, and the fact that there hasn't been that evolution, there hasn't been the the investment in certain areas of the of the side, and it, it's it's difficult. It's it's really difficult for a young manager in a in a in their first sort of big job. Did well at Forest Green, but in a in a bigger job, <laughs> Watford on a big club, but a bigger job um, to come in and deal with all of this political nonsense that goes on. And I, f- I just hope, I just hope that you know, if if things don't go to plan against Sunderland going into an inter- international break, which is basically a potso sacking zone, which it has been over the years, that they just, they just take stock of the situation and go, look, come on, let's just let's just chill out for a minute and, and think about this, because Scott Duxbury, who's the chairman and the CEO, he's gone on record. And there wasn't much communication last season, but he's gone on record this year saying, we will back Rob Edwards come hell or high water. Okay, fine. Well, if you're going to do that and then you sack him, what does that say about you, about the hierarchy, about the running of the club? It sort of almost makes the whole thing a little bit untenable and you just think, well, why should anyone have any faith in anything that's being done? If you're going to say something like that and then... Completely changed tack, especially when Rob Edwards has been trying to get a grip of a new squad, and there's been a huge amount of change. There's been about fifteen players that have left, and and new nationalities coming in, and and bringing in lone players, and there's been injured players as well. He hasn't had them all at his full disposal yet. You have to give him time. Give him time, all the way to the World Cup, at the very least. Give him the whole bloody season. You know, just 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 let's just see what happens and chill out and stop thinking that changing the head coach is the answer maybe just do a bit of introspection and think oh all these coaches seem to be leaving all the time I keep on sacking all these coaches is it is it them or is it me you know that's you would just hope that that maybe one day the penny drops but it's been going on for far too long to expect that that to happen
2: but again from from the outside It says to me a lot about the expectation at the club because looking at the table, I mean there's only a a two point gap between, you know, between Watford and third place in the table after only nine games. Yeah. So I mean, you know, as much as, you know, social media isn't going to be the best barometer, I've seen a lot of criticism of all the performances of Watford this season. I've seen they've only they've only scored nine goals in nine games as well. So I mean, have the performance levels been part of the criticism?
1: It's been disjointed. There have been moments when they've played really well, but they have had those complications of, of trying to embed a new style of play, but not knowing which players were going to be remaining at the club. Especially someone like, like Ismail Assar, who a, is a great example, who traditionally and, and throughout his time at Watford has been playing you know, outside right forward. But if you think, right, well, he's going to be leaving, I'm probably going to go and I I might want to try something different. I want to play with a front two and then play with a back three. Well, if you want to plan for that, but then you end up keeping Saar, who normally plays on the right, okay, right, if he's going to stay, then we're going to have to play him centrally. But we've just signed another couple of strikers just in case one of our other strikers leaves. So it's been a puzzle that has been not even out of the box. It's still in the box, the puzzle. And he's not really been able to put it together in any in any clear way as yet. You know, and injuries as well. You know, Ishmael Asar got injured against Blackburn. He won't be playing against Sunderland. I wouldn't have thought. We'll find out in in the press conference. But it has been very, very difficult to hang together performances tallied with the recruitment as well, like not having, you know, having to play your Player of the Year last year which was a joke in itself because no one deserved to be a Player of the Year but Hassan Kamara who came in from Nice in January he ended up winning Player of the Year because he played half decent but he was then having to play on the right hand side as a right wing back because they had Ken Semmer playing on the left hand side but they didn't trust the new right back that they had brought in in exchange for Kiko Femenia it's just been an absolute sort of mishmash of, of signings and it's just not it's not ready to be judged yet. And that's the long and short of it. If you if you if you make the decision to judge the situation that he has been dealt or the cards that he has been dealt, then I think you're I think you're completely and utterly wrong. But then they will argue, well, you know, Vincent Company's been able to do it at, at Burnley you know, after, after a relegation. Um, Dean Smith's been able to do it at Norwich after a relegation. But then you could, the counter-argument to that is, well, Norwich are probably a better run club and Burnley have actually reinvested in the areas that they needed and they've got a clear strategy, right? We're going to invest in young, high-caliber young players from around Europe and we're going to tap into our experienced coach, you know, not not necessarily only in managerial terms, but but in terms of playing as well. And that's not necessarily something that Watford do with Rob Edwards. They will still give him players that they have signed and then only give him a modicum of influence on the players that he might want to sign. The likes of Keenan Davis, who was also injured initially, but will be a player. I think he's brilliant. I wouldn't be surprised if he scores against Sunderland. Um, Hamza Chowdhury, who's just getting back into playing on a regular basis. Courtney House came in, but he's been injured left centre back which Watford needed it's just just, you can tell from my sort of my my, I don't know the sort of when I say all this stuff I just think how can you make a decision how can you make a decision on whether someone should stay or go based on the fact that they've not they've not even been able to have have that jigsaw out of the box yet to even start to put it together so yeah I'm just hoping for it from our point of view from a Watford point of view I'm just hoping for a, a a day when it clicks, just for a day, for a game, and they win. And then we can just go away and enjoy our international break and get back to it afterwards. And I would just make a plea to the Sunderland fans. Just, if you could just give us this one, just one. <laughs> you've had your impressive win against Reading, away win. You can just sort of treat it. If you've stayed down as well with the team, which is obviously unlikely because you've got jobs and you have need to go to work. Um, but if, you know, you've had your, your good Southern win, for this period, just just let us have a one niller if you don't mind, please
2: <laughs> well I mean all the all the sounds that you're making are all kind of slightly negative, you know as I said, <laughs> listening to Rob Edwards, it's negative, but I mean I was taking a look earlier and I mean the home form you know three wins from four I mean that suggests you've got a kind of a good home form and you've you've been doing well in Vicarage road but but I mean all these kind of negative thoughts that are coming in I mean it, the, there's maybe potential for the fans to get on their back if Sunderland start keeping the ball and frustrating frustrating the home fans. I mean, how do you see the game going on Saturday?
1: Well, I haven't seen much of Sunderland, I must admit. And when I heard that both strikers that you had been budgeting on playing were, were missing, I was thinking, oh, well, this is shaping up nice. And then I saw Barcelona playing at <laughs> Reading, scoring one one of the greatest goals ever scored. And I thought, hang on a minute. Watford have been struggling against everyone that can play football. QPR, for example, they did re- they did re- really well. They even struggled against West Brom and West Brom aren't doing very well. Um, but yeah, you're right. At home, at home, they have pulled it out of the bag and the fans have been on side and there have been some good wins against uh, Sheffield United, against Burnley, against Middlesbrough as well in the last minute. So it's just about whether they can they can start strong because what they've been struggling with at the moment is is conceding the the first goal and having to get themselves back into games and they never really managed to get back into it against blackburn and they've they've sort of got into the habit of slow starts and i, I just hope that the the potential negativity or tension that might be felt not only in the dugout going into an international break but in the fan base as well doesn't transmit itself onto the onto the pitch, because they have got it in them. They have got some some players that are are gifted and and perhaps do belong at a higher level. Perhaps like Joao Pedro, when he's on form, he wasn't a Blackburn. When he's on form, he's he is an outstanding player. But if they're facing up against an opposition that are, are confident in in the way that they're playing, have a style of play, can pop the ball around a corner, give and goes know where they're they're supposed to be playing, where what they're supposed to be doing, like we saw Sunderland do at Reading, then, you know, Watford have got a pretty shaky defense that aren't particularly full of confidence, that have been ground down over the last few years. And you will get chances. And you may well, if you play like you did against Reading, then I'm sure you'll score goals. But but Watford, I hope, have, have hit their sort of, their rock bottom a little bit in this early stage of, of the season against Blackburn. And, and, and I'm hoping that there's, the only way is up and that they have, rather than fragmented in the dressing room and, and, and it started to sort of turn toxic after that game, I hope it's been the one of like, come on, boys, we can't do this again. And they're on it. And if they are on it, then they have got the ability to, to do very well. But that is the unknown. If if they start as they have been in recent games, then Sunderland will have a good afternoon.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So we've got a young we've got a young team, and we're we're enjoying watching them. But um, I think mm. uh, consistency is one of the big question marks for for our team because they're so young, um, and a lot of them are having their first season in the championship. So it'll be interesting to see how we get on against um, a bunch of players who've just come down.
1: Yeah, but don't get don't get. That's what John Dal Thomason was saying. After after Blackburn won, and it was almost as if they'd sort of they'd beaten the Harlem Globetrotters, and it's like, <laughs> hang on a minute, look, Watford are no big, you know, no great shakes. So, yeah, if it, if it works to Watford's advantage and, and Sunderland give Watford a lot of respect, then fine. But I would have thought the the analysts in the Sunderland department would have watched the team, watched the game, and gone, we could we could do we could do well here," because there is there is certainly weaknesses in that Watford side. Um, but I hope at the same time. Rob Edwards, and I'm sure look, Rob Edwards is a good good guy, good coach, and, and Richie Kyle is assistant. They're they're good coaches. And they're on a good, you know, incrementally they're getting better in terms of their their experiences. And they will they will have picked it apart as well. And they will hopefully have prepared Watford. It's just now down to the players to go and put that into action and, and play with a bit of confidence. But it's just that anxiety and that that tension that that can sometimes you know, just tie you up a little bit. So hmm. it's a, it's a little bit of an unknown, but um yeah, obviously I've got my fingers crossed that they can they can just pull it out of the bag and get into that international break. Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> well Wat- Watford was my tip for the title, so you know, look. Oh, you know, what, what do I know? But <laughs> but yeah. I was just looking again. I mean, we haven't met um since uh, April 2017, um where mm. uh, you know, Victor Jordan, when Watford took all three points in the final days of the david Moyes era and we have to go back to 1999 for our last win at Vicarage road which was a 3-2 win um mainly thanks to to two goals from kevin phillips which uh, mm. of course we've got watford to thank uh, for passing them over for for, <laughs> for for next to yeah. nothing but um but i mean will you be there on saturday Are you planning on getting along
1: yeah 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 I'll, I'll be there i'm i'm in the press box every game home and away for for watford um so, yes, I will be there. And I look, I always remember, you know, back in the day, um, who was that striker that you had, blonde hair? Is it J- Byrne?
2: Is it John Byrne? Oh, John Byrne, yeah. 1992 Cup run, yeah.
1: Yeah, that sort of, that that era. And I always remember Sunderland fans always noisy and loud and, you know, boisterous. And and it's always the way. And I just, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing the Sunderland fans back at, Back at Vicarage Road, I hope I hope it's a good away day. Um, just not too good, obviously. And yeah, I we will see. We will see. We'll see what happens. But that there, there will certainly be an opportunity for for Sunderland to to have a good day, if Watford continue to play that the way that they they have been. But I, yeah, I will be watching on from the from the press box. And I as I go back out, I walk past the Sunderland fans to my left hand side. So I'll, I'll give them a I'll give them a nod and a wave and. A, <laughs> Yeah yeah hopefully I'm not waving um, waving goodbye to another another three points all the way back up to Sunderland we, we will see
2: yeah well it, it's definitely set up um for a, for a good game anyway yeah. but uh, but on that note um it just leaves me to say thank you very much Adam it's been an absolute pleasure and all the best for the rest of the season
1: cheers chris and uh, yeah all the best to everyone that listens take care
2: Brilliant! Thanks again, and uh, thanks again for everyone for listening. Uh, keep a look out, Rock Report, for all the build up ahead of the game against Watford over the weekend. But from us, bye for now.
1: Even on a budget.